Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So yeah, listen, I had to psych myself up coming in here. I was listening to Imagine the Fire by Hans Zimmer from the Dark Knight Rises soundtrack there. I even brushed my teeth. I don't know why that felt like a ritual thing to do. I felt like Goldberg coming out of like, you know, the locker room in WCW, like people like banging on the door, about to walk down the hallway and like get into this podcast. And of course, no celebration will be complete, Craigo, without me opening a bottle of beer on. loudly, loudly in front of the microphone. Already two beers deep. There we go. <laughs> Struggled Fantastic. a bit there, didn't you? It's 300, man. <laughs> Two beers, is it? <laughs> uh, I've, been struggling. I've been struggling for a long time. How are you feeling about this episode I'm before hyped. you kick in, real quick? It's very exciting. I'm not going to spoil anything just yet, but um, I'm hyped about having to do like, you know, 17, I think, percent less of the work on this episode. By my calculations. Okay, oh, well, also, I guess we're, you know. Well, I guess we'll see. Well, well, who knows? We'll find out. I will say as well, um, Adam will be happy about this. In, in, in honor of this episode, I've popped in a fresh pair of batteries. So Where? we're all good. Three bars. <laughs> Where? Into the back of my skull. Three bars of battery, 300 episodes. And yeah, let's kick it off. Let's go. Dave Hanready and there will be no encore for episode 300. I'm joined by Craig Fitzpatrick. Hello, Hello buddy. We've come a long way. This is incredible. It's pretty shocking. Yeah. And um, Adam is here as well. He doesn't have a microphone, but just in case anything goes wrong, he will be here for us. He's here every week, but like, you know, this is a special episode. I'm pretty nervous, man. I guess the first thing to say would be a huge thank you to anyone who's ever listened to the show, anyone who's ever supported the show, which you can do, by the way, patreon.com slash no encore. We're going to get that in immediately. Episode 300, if, you, if you're in the mood, I will say, you know, there's, someone in the Zoom chat here has already shaken <laughs> their head about this whole plug in the show business. And I guess now's the perfect time to introduce them. If you've been with us since the very beginning, you will, of course, know that this show started as a three piece. And we used to be joined week on week by the wonderful, the incredible, our hot press buddy, our best friend in the world. Cullum O'Regan is Woo! back. I am. Yay! Back, back, back with happy memories of when this was a non-profit organization. 
Yeah, that's why you left. You know, you're like <laughs> total not, purist. Yeah, <laughs> I won't sell What's out. What's up, fellas? It's good to hear you, man. It is wonderful to be here, and congratulations on making three hundred. You yeah, made we've we've shuffled along in your absence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you made plenty of them. Um, this is yeah. yeah, this is partly your celebration, partly not as much as us, but you know. Because we've, we've stuck listen, around listen, I, for the listener. I look, back very, I look back very fondly on having played a part. Um, but fair play, like I've been, I've been following from the sidelines the whole time, and uh, you've done a great job. And no, I mean, look, of all the platitudes that I'm sure you're going to get, I literally more than anybody know how much work actually goes into doing this show because I did 180 something of them or whatever it was. Um, and yeah, you deserve all the congratulations in the world and I'm delighted to be able to share this evening with you with a cold bottle of Volvic. Wow, am I the only one boozing? This is like, this is... I'm a, on the a, soda stream, yeah. Um, of course, Adam is running to the kitchen hastily to make sure that I'm not, I'm not the problem drinker of the show. I will just say, <laughs> you know, the 300 kind of means nothing except the chance to be reunited, right? Like it was, it was a no-brainer as soon as we found out Dahi had no availability. Couldn't have been anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we tried. We begged and begged, but he was like, nah, man, gigs are kind of coming back, I think, maybe possibly. So yeah. I have to focus on that this week. Um, but yeah, on this episode, of course, we will be uh, probably a bit more relaxed than usual, but we'll see what will happen. Hope you won't talk over each other too much. Regular listeners will be like more relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe we have to have some kind of raise our hand system because Colm Craig and I have kind of developed like a decent Zoom-based telekinesis in the last year and a half which we don't expect you to have. So, you know, please raise that hand and we'll come straight to you. I, I can see the wonderful NFL cap in the background, by the way. Is this your favorite? Oh, yeah, my, to- my full Rob Lowe move, yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Um, on this episode, we'll be reviewing the new album from Coldplay, because how else would you celebrate your 300th episode? <laughs> and for our top five this week, it's the first time Craig and I are ever going to team up on one side of the top five to battle Cullum. It's top five songs about music, best and worst. Craig Fitzpatrick, you came up with a bunch of ideas. This was the most meta. Why this one and what will it sound like, do we think? Well, Dave, it's a show about music, so... In a way, we're kind of talking about ourselves. And um, I don't know, I think you were saying when we were trying to get our picks together, it's very broad. It is a broad church, um, it's fair to say. So it can be songs that celebrate the power of music, meta songs about songwriting, kind of like lyrically dense narratives about the industry or musicians or artists. Um, And yeah, I think it's going to be bountiful in terms of the good and the bad because it can be very much a genre of song you go to when you run out of things to write about it can be very self-indulgent um it can be too self-regarding um enter cullum on those duties not in the characteristics of cullum of course and then when it works it can be really really good i think we've got a really good top five i enjoyed collaborating um so yeah we'll get to it it'll be fun yeah and of course this represents colin regan's first ever stab at a top five and you're on mm. the negative side of things you're usually a very cheerful guy how did this like battle with your brain this week on this one well basically i saw it as being my chance to justify leaving the music industry <laughs> yeah. two and a half years ago so yeah i'm just wearing it as sort of my badge of this is everything wrong with what i left behind Incredible. I guess I should ask you before you play on, Colin, for anyone who may have tuned into the show late, maybe when we started the whole top five business, uh, can you give us a bit of a background on who you are? You know, like a, like, like a quick fire Wikipedia page <laughs> intro to the His man himself. His eyes widen. <laughs> that, it, it's a big question to lead with, isn't it? We're five minutes into the show. Uh, what, I'm a journalist and now a marketer, I suppose. I used to work in Hot Press Magazine with you two. And uh, back in March of 2016... 
I'm going to say is when we started this yeah. show, uh, episode number one with two of the boys from Overhead the Albatross. And I was there ever present until December of 2018 when a new job and a house move and marriage and everything else. A life, essentially. Uh, you yeah, left us and, for and, a life, goddamn you. And more, more to the point as well, not getting paid to do music journalism anymore. I was yeah. just like, you know what? If, I'm, if there's no money in this, I'm out. And then you did the Patreon thing and I, do, do guests get a cut, by the way? Uh, we should actually, we should thank the patrons for funding this episode because everything we've earned over the past year has now been funneled directly into Colm's account. Uh, he's being a bit bashful there, but yeah, worth every cent. I think people will agree. How do you think he afforded those two NFL trips last weekend? I mean, like, well, Craig and I just stayed home. So, um, yeah, I, I think that will about do it. I, I, I think that's everyone up to speed. Uh, it should be noted, in the, uh, speaking of Patreon, one last plug for it, because we do have a brand new episode of No Ox Cord, our recommends episode out now. Go check that out. It's right, It's waiting there for you. But I should note in the episode preview this week about this episode, I did say, for a little intro to Colm, I said, you know, he was, he was our confidant, he was our brother for a while, until he went off to do grown-up things like get married and buy a house. So <laughs> congratulations on all those things as well. Um, but will it be congratulations as we get into our news section? Let's find out as Adam hits the wonderful sting that we have. Hey, you heard about the good news? Now, speaking of that man, I don't know how we're going to accomplish this, but we do have another sting that we play. There's a certain man's voice on that sting. Is it possible to do a real-time intro to this? Can we make it work? Take it away, Cole Morrigan. Give us your best three words right there. Craig on. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Sublime. Attention everyone. One, one. Shut up. Craig on Kanye. And here we go. So yeah, I mean, it is Craig on the artist formerly known as Kanye. Um, Dave did put this little section together. Um, and to be honest, the Kanye, sorry, the yay news has been on like the fringes of my conscious this week. Every time I see some update, he's like wearing a weird mask or getting a slightly strange haircut and I'm kind of like, am I actually awake during the day? It's like those moments of like, am I still sleeping? And then I put the phone down. Um, but one thing we can be sure of is that something we thought had gone away that wasn't going to come to pass, like so many yay projects, <laughs> um, has now happened and it's very exciting. So back in August, he filed to change his name to his longstanding nickname, as you heard there, yay. Um, it's become legal. Uh, Deadline, Rolling Stone and um, our go-to source, TMZ, have confirmed it. Pitchfork has reached out to Ye's representatives and lawyers for a comment and more information. We don't have that um, at the moment. But this goes <laughs> way back to like 2018 when he tweeted out uh, the being formerly known as Kanye West is um, I am Ye. And then he went on to tell Big Boy in an interview that same year, I believe... Yay slash ye, I guess, is the most commonly used word in the Bible. In the Bible, it means you, so I'm you and I'm us. It's us. We went from being Kanye, which means the only one to just yay, just being a reflection of our good or bad or confused everything. It's more of a reflection of who we are as beings. So there's your rationale. I mean, am I now Kanye? Because he's sense? all of us. Like, yeah, we are all Kanye. <laughs> we are all yay, should I say? I think so. It's quite Jim Carrey, isn't it? Remember Jim Carrey a couple of years ago was just like, none of this is real. Jim Carrey doesn't exist. And he just started wearing a leather jacket. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, am I really nitpicking by saying that the word he's referring to in the Bible is ye, not yay? That, that was my initial thought when I read some of his quotes here as well. Yeah, although I do enjoy the idea of Kanye always 
mispronouncing that, you know. Hear yay, hear yay. <laughs> so Which I got to ask, does, yeah. I have to ask, because we've invited Cullum on the show numerous times and oftentimes you're like, I don't really keep up with new music anymore. I, I, I've escaped the life. So I, I got to figure that Kanye West, whatever his name is at the moment, and it is yay, is generally unavoidable. Did you tune in to Donda all almost two hours of it when it came out? And are you still, as the man who 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 coined the Kanye coefficient on this very show, where do you stand on <laughs> on the work at this stage? Yeah, I mean, I I did listen to Donda. It, it sounds ridiculous to say I haven't spent a lot of time with the album because I have because I listened to it twice. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, he definitely is skirting that line in terms of the Kanye coefficient that we discussed all those years ago. And even when I see stories like this, I'm reminded of that time when friend of the show, Joshua Hughes, spotted him at that Atlanta United soccer game and summed it up with the line, he should be at home finishing that bloody album, which sums up so much of the peripheral yay news right now that it's like, okay, that's fine. Does the music justify the discussion and the coverage and everything else anymore? It's getting harder and harder to say yeah. Mm. And harder, say harder yay, man. to say yay. Oh, harder and harder oh, to say nice. yay. <laughs> Sorry, there's Dave. Gonna be, yeah, there's going to so be much, there's gonna be so much confusion, though. I think particularly like, Irish people are probably like more inclined to be like yee. So like, is that going to be a thing? I mean, yeah. was it? It was Pat Kenny, wasn't it, on his radio show when... Uh, when, when, when the album came out and he was like and this is Yikes by Kanye West from the album Yee so I don't know I don't know if it's going to work not that I want to be like it's his name it has to be recognised we have to I don't know what we're going to do with the show I don't know what we're going to do with this segment I can understand why it's been on the fringes of your conscience Craig my head is spinning over this I think we'll be okay. It's a bit of a minor existential crisis, much like Drake suffered back in his um, teen drama days. An odd one from Drake, you say, Dave. Um, It's been revealed that back when he was on Degrassi, um, back when he was just Aubrey Graham, he had a problem um, when he ended up in a wheelchair. The character ended up in a wheelchair after being paralysed in that school shooting thing that has now become a total meme. Uh, There's this new oral history um, that's come out celebrating Degrassi's 20th anniversary and writer James Hurst revealed that Drake almost quit the show over the whole wheelchair storyline. A letter came in from this Toronto law law firm just saying like um, Aubrey Graham will not return to Degrassi season six as Jimmy Brooks unless his injury is healed and he's out of the wheelchair. Um, Aubrey came down to the office and was like, I, what letter? I didn't write this letter. And he, he kind of, it was explained to him that, listen, this is a good thing. It'll be good for like the audience out there. And he admitted that um, <laughs> the line was, all my friends in the rap game say I'm soft because I'm in a wheelchair. Now this is teenage Drake and it's kind of sweet and he stuck with it. And also some of the castmates were like, yeah, he did have like actual like practical problems just being in a wheelchair on set, um, which of course you would have. But yeah, is this a sweet story or is this further grist for the kind of Drake is... Um, I, you know. it's a weird story. I did select it, but like, I think I took it from Stereogum and maybe I don't, I, I don't want to get that wrong. Cause if, if I don't want to apologize, I, I want to apologize if, if that is wrong, but like some of the language used, even in, in the way this was written, like, I mean, whoever wrote the story, like used the phrase confined to a wheelchair, which I think is one of those phrases that like probably should be fucking changed. Yeah. Because, yeah. Like, it should be like people who use a wheelchair, you know, or whichever, like, I mean, like, cause confined makes it sound like some kind of fucking horrible sentencing or whatever. And like, that's obviously where Drake was coming from. And like, it's different, I think, for like, you know, an able-bodied actor, especially what, 10, 15 years ago, whatever it was, to be experiencing some 
practical problems with a change in whatever their character is going through. But yeah, I, that phrase confined to wheelchair really kind of bothered me because it was like, that's not really how you should refer to it at all. Um, I think ultimately it's it's a good story because like the writer in question managed to say to him, like there are people out there who, you know, need to see this and like connect to your character and your character is a cool character and it's important to normalize that and kill any kind of stigma. So uh, to me, it was a rare Drake story where I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. Like how often do yeah, we have a wholesome-ish Drake and, story? Yeah. I never saw the show, though. Um, Craig and I often go back and forth on our OC One Tree Hill business. Colm, I know you're a big fan of American culture, but does it extend to Canadian teen dramas, I wonder? No, OC is about as far as it goes for me. Although I did do my research when looking at this story. Um, Drake was in it for seven seasons. Like, (laughs) I knew he'd been on the show or a show, but I didn't realize it was like, a full-length career move, so to speak. I did find out that at the end of that seventh season, uh, Wheelchair Jimmy, as he was somewhat unkindly known, um, actually crossed the stage to graduate on crutches. So maybe his protests actually worked out. Just and for then, that scene. And then he went into to, to the music business, of course, which we've all loved ever since. Um, and speaking of Drake's ties to the music business, um, Adele, I know we're all excited about that new Adele album. Did anybody listen to the single here at all? It's called Easy yeah, On Me. Yeah, I gave it a spin. Did yeah, you give it a spin? I, I forgot it immediately. Yeah. yeah. It's just another Adele song, really, it is. isn't it? I mean, she's emotional. It's pretty on the nose. So, but, but like, she knows what side her bread is buttered on, right? Well, this and is the that's thing. what this story is really about. So she's revealed that she played her new album, which is called 30, comes out on the 19th of November. She played it to Drake in order to get his take on the record. Uh, apparently he was over in London. They were hanging out. And she said, I played it to him. Uh, I said, do you think this is like what people want or not want? And Drake said, absolutely. <laughs> what the fuck? Vegas as all hell. Which reminds me of, um, I'll often mention on the show, Mick from the Galaxy. He put up like a, a screenshot of, he was like next level mam tweet or, or WhatsApp reply. He messaged his mother on WhatsApp and said, <laughs> he said, uh, sorry, what day are you going to Spain again? And she wrote back and said, will do. Which <laughs> is very, very good. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, Adele clarified and said that she didn't send around to everyone. She was just, you know, talking to people I guess she uh, trusted. She said, quality control is my forte. I don't know about that. Uh, I can write a song about my own experiences, my own life and stuff like that. People certainly are waiting for a club banger from me. I feel like I'm going to give people what it is that they've been missing while I've been away, she says. Uh, Which to me is, uh, Adele to me is best described as throw the CD into your basket while you're doing your Christmas shopping at Sainsbury's music. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my general kind of read on it. So I've yet to get to the new song. We'll probably review the album because first album in six years, but not to be too dismissive and write her off. She's obviously a personality and she's obviously got a few good songs there, here and there, but I just don't quite get the level of just stratospheric appeal. Uh, Craig and Cullum, which which one of you guys wants to mount the defense for Adele? I'm guessing neither. I'm just wondering if the producer of Degrassi has to convinced drake that listening to adele doesn't make him soft either possibly yeah i like from this story i'm thinking if she is talking so much um about the audience and what people expect of her it doesn't really bode well does it like it sounds like she's been away for a while and she's second guessing herself or maybe that's how she operates she's, she's just shrewd enough to know exactly what she does well and she will just stay in that box forever 
Christ. Uh, well, I guess one level of social advancement we can point to is people who have differences who make for good friends. Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, it turns out, is good mates with Ted Nugent. I didn't know this, and it did surprise me, but Tom Morello has defended this in a new interview with Enemy. Uh, he said that he reserves the right to be friends with anybody. I reserve the right to confront opinions I disagree with, with open-heartedness and love, or by throwing a brick. That's up to me. In the case of Ted, I know he's become this right-wing caricature, but there have been several times when I've reached out to him on issues that you might be surprised about, but he's still Uncle Ted. He says all sorts of shit. Cole Morrigan, we go live to you. Well, just like the last 19 months, we've heard an awful lot of people talk an awful lot of nonsense about certain rights that they assume and that definitely don't exist. And I think the right to confront anybody by throwing a brick is not one you're allowed to reserve. If you're in, in the eyes of the law, that's very much not a right you have. (laughs) This whole thing, I mean, it's got a real, you know, oh, well, at least he speaks his mind. And it's like, yeah, but it kind of depends on what he's thinking then, doesn't it? But what about the right to be friends with Ted Nugent? Is that something that we can kind of drill down within? You know, like, it's very... I I guess we'll give it to them. The one thing I'll say, and, you know, we've chatted enough about this off air, the smorgasbord of crazy that is the United States, I guess you have to put your differences aside at some points, or otherwise you just spend your entire day just running away from people. You've been to many, uh, like, like you went to two NFL games there in London, admittedly, but you know, again, American sports, you must defend yourself in the throng of all kinds of cultures at all times. And I assume, you know, as a, as a proud Irishman, you were just automatically like, oh, this guy's grand, he's fine. Oh, yeah, to a certain extent, absolutely. Well, yeah, the, the fact that I started USA chance after they did the flyover <laughs> after the anthem probably helped in the assimilation as well. <laughs> Uh, back to Canada, though, where satanic panic is alive and well. Um, a Canadian high school principal who recently made global headlines after, quote, exposing herself as an Iron Maiden fan, okay, <laughs> will, uh, will keep her job despite concerned parents calling for her removal. This is the story of Sharon Burns, a principal in Ontario, uh, who shared two images on social media, one which showed her posing in front of an Iron Maiden banner and license plate while throwing a devil horn gesture, and the other featuring a figure of the band's mascot, Eddie, alongside a handwritten note saying Eddie 666 inside a love heart and this led lots of hell and love joy types in this day and age to uh, start a petition which garnered 553 signees basically like this person needs to be fired this you know can't toxify our children's minds etc a counter petition titled we need mrs burns uh, is still active and has amassed almost twenty four thousand signatures at the time of writing uh, on thursday and yeah so essentially like the school came out and said no she's cool she's down with the kids this is nonsense i again i i, I thought canada was like the cool country <laughs> like i mean is this really like still happening in 2021 craig what did you make of this as a fan of education and maybe a fan of iron maiden i don't know I'm not a massive fan of either of those things, Dave, to be quite honest with you. It's indoctrinating our children, both of them. Um, yeah, I was a little shocked. It doesn't really seem like a, a Canadian story for sure. Um, obviously, a bit of confusion as well around, like, it wasn't just that she declared herself a huge Iron Maiden fan, which I guess the parents might have been cool with. But uh, just to, like, interject on myself what decade is this like surely the parents of high school students are at an age where Iron Maiden were like their parents band like how do they not know this imagery why do they still have a problem with it it's very strange it seems to be yeah though the kind of the devil horns the Eddie 666 without um context I'm imagining that we need um Mrs Burns that that signature um that 
those signatures, 23,000, 24,000 signatures, don't all come from people in the school or associated with the school. Um, but she's yeah, going to stay change, anyway. Change.org has a lot to answer yeah, for yeah, all yeah, for over. Sure. So I wanted to ask, uh, do we have any like cool teacher stories in our locker here? I remember there was a teacher in my school, in my secondary school. He'd say all kinds of weird things, but he apparently claimed that he once met back in like the mid 90s, I guess, uh, on a train from Drada to the dock. He once met a, a then struggling the cores who didn't know what to do with their sound. And he said that they should mix <laughs> contemporary pop music with traditional Irish elements and the rest was history. So congratulations to him. Amazing. <laughs> um, shout out to Mr. Nelson, my old English teacher, who um, gave us a period of chilling out <laughs> one time in class by playing Albatross by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> Just the CD for no really r- r- real reason. And uh, it was very relaxing, must be said. That was the height of cool though closest I can get to it and by god can you tell that I went to school in Bishopstown Cork here that my art teacher was married to the drummer from the Franken Walters <laughs> oh wow <laughs> that's excellent that is excellent you win uh, well a band that don't win often well I guess they do win in terms yeah. of commerciality but like a band that didn't win we, we talked about this recently on the show Craig I was like how come Coldplay have never done a James Bond theme well I guess they were listening because they've done a new interview and they said Chris Martin said that they made a number of unsuccessful attempts at writing the James Bond theme uh, they said that we kept trying to write one for 20 years but never submitted them. We have Bond themes for about five movies, but they're not very good, to be honest. I don't know if we're spiritually on the same trip as James. As much as I like the films, I don't know if us singing would do it for him. He'd be like, that's not what I'm into at all, fellas. I like guns and shit. All this hippie stuff just isn't going to work. Now, Craig, as someone who I know, I have this uh, on good authority, you went to the new James Bond film this week. Yeah, I Let's did. Let's talk about it. I finally got review. to the cinema. I enjoyed it for like the big, massively flawed, long popcorn movie it is. Um, it was nice being back in the cinema. Even um, nice being in front of the row of boisterous school kids that filed in and sat behind us. And I was just like, oh God, this is going to be an absolute nightmare. Um, but they were quiet when the film came on. It was it was great. I didn't have to turn around and shout once. <laughs> so it was one guy giving like occasional, like very insightful commentary, um, which would be stuff like James Bond would walk into a room and like the Hans Zimmer kind of music would, would rise and it would seem very tense. And you just hear behind you, I reckon something's going to happen here. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? He was right. Stuff did happen. <laughs> That's kind of my review. Stuff happened. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I think um, it dawned on me that James Bond films now are the equivalent of like the trip with Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan. For me, it's just like kind of middle-aged, like British institutions going on a nice holiday. There's like stunning scenery. It's a nice mini break by proxy. And I just liked the kind of cinematography and it was fun. Um, But yeah, if you want to get into criticisms, I mean, the motivations, some of the casting... Massive we can do a lot that. Of it. Yeah, we'll we can do, do it that another, time. another time. I, I, I want to ask Colm about his own kind of, I guess, pandemic cinema experience or lack thereof, and generally kind of where you are. Where are you at on James Bond in the cinema of today? I went to see June, or is it Dune? Earlier on today, I'm fresh out of the screening. It's a it's a two and a half out of five from me. <laughs> but Cullum, <laughs> what what have you been up to cinematically these days? Cinematically, I've been to one movie in the whatever it is, year and a half of COVID. It was Tenet, and I didn't particularly enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> as for James Bond, I mean, I mean, again, following on from Craig and the sort of like British institution thing, Bond themes by now, it feels like 
John Lewis ad Christmas songs. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's It's the same sort of territory at this stage in terms of broad crossover mainstream appeal. And yeah, I, I mean, there's almost part of me that thinks I'd at least like to hear what Coldplay have been coming up with. Because, as we're about to talk about in a second, it might just uh, expand their horizons a little bit. Well, the man says broad crossover mainstream appeal, and I can think of no better way than to queue up this uh, this cynical cash grab with BTS. Let's take a listen, and then let's listen to the new album. We'll review the new album, shall we, after this? I think we let's just go. did. <laughs> That's a bit of Coldplay there. It's called My Universe. BTS are on that track. And, you know, why not? It's time for Synergy. It's time for Music of the Spheres. And it's time for Craig Fitzpatrick to hit us with a primer to deliver some information and backstory about this young band called Coldplay. It's a band of dreamers. Um, They're a London-based, I think, rock quartet formed in 1996. Kind of the band who wrote that, like, you know, post-Radiohead, the Benz wave better than most. Like, they trampled the sensitive bootcut jean wearing likes of Travis Underfoot and, like, the kind of everyman, millennial British indie arms race. Um, first, with the very kind of inviting and accomplished Parachutes, which was, you know, great melodies, approachable, grounded. Had some, like, winning naivete about it with Chris Martin. Um, it was a bit like, you know, like, Tom York really hates high and dry it was like Chris Martin was just like, I'll take all of that you can get. I'll just write all those <laughs> songs. And it worked. It totally worked. Uh, there's also three other blokes in the band. As I said, Quartet. So there's the bloke with the hat. who's <laughs> a bit like The Edge. There's the kind of Phil Selway-ish guy on drums. And then there's the handsome bassist. Who's a bit like <laughs> Joseph Fiennes, I guess. This is so damning. <laughs> just this is so damning. The, drummer, right the drummer's name is Champ- Will Champion. His surname is Champion, Craig. Pay the man some respect. They stretched themselves on a rush of blood to the head. Um growing popularity, critical acclaim. It did seem like they might have a few kind of like good old fashioned like rock um, masterpieces maybe in them. And then, I don't know, it felt like everything after that felt they got to a stadium level and they always had the audience in mind and their lineage. And Chris Martin was kind of revealed as a bit more Bono than Tom York. So just kind of, you know, wanting to be the biggest rock and roll band in the world, getting a kind of sales pitch for every album. So they do, you know, let's get Eno on this thing. We're breaking out the oblique strategy cards or we're embracing pop. Pop stars are actually genius or, you know, hip hop is the future. (laughs) Just these kind of inane talking points and then they'd have Coldplay songs. Um, But it seemingly kind of made them um, a bit Teflon. They've sold over 100 million albums. They did Super Bowl 50, I believe, with all their famous mates. And then came the last album, Everyday Life, was nearly exactly two years ago. The two of you reviewed it. I think I was off that week. Um, I do remember it kind of being a bit quirkier, a bit more low-key, and there's some kind of interesting stuff on it. And what happened was it didn't sell all that well, all things considered. Like, I think it sold something like a tenth of what the previous album, A Head Full of Dreams, did in the US. It was their first album not to go multi-platinum. So this feels like course correction in terms of chart placings. It's their ninth album. Max Martin's on board. Songs that evoke stadiums to the point of including Ole 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 chants in the actual Fucking songs. Nice. 
They're like tapping into the universal power of music <laughs> to shift units and tickets and streams, they hope. And um, it's a concept album as well, we should note. So like they're fulfilling the prophecy foretold by Yellow and they've gone full space team concept album. And I say I have a little blurb about that. So Music of the Spheres is set in a fictional planetary system called the Spheres, which contains nine planets, three natural... Okay, I'm not going to read all the rest of that. According <laughs> to Leeds, <laughs> three natural satellites, a star and a nebula. Each of which corresponds to a certain track on the record. You would not know this from listening to the record. According to lead singer Chris Martin, its concept and teams were inspired by the Star Wars film franchise, Jesus which made Christ. him wonder what other artists could be like across the universe. That was 100% the prequels he was watching as well. Mm. And yeah, it's so inane, isn't it? It just makes you want to push your fingers into your eyeballs. Um, but yeah, that's that's the context. But it's all about the music. And on this episode... It's all about Cullum. Will we go to Cullum first? And how did you get on with your ret- return to music criticism and the album, I guess? Uh, well, I mean, you can re- imagine my reaction when I opened it and uh, four of the track listing are emojis. Yeah. Love that. Um, luckily, they're each interludes. And what looks to be a 40 minute album is, in fact, short of half an hour once you remove them and the closing track, Coloratura, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. Um, yeah, Craig obviously kind of summarised it at length there. I think you could um, just as neatly do it if you just remixed Yellow, uh, their first breakout hit, all those 20 year, 21 years ago now, uh, so that it just read, no, really look at the stars. Like, <laughs> actually see how they shine for you, because it is this sort of cosmological journey and this high-concept album and I just got the vibes of, you know, when you talk to a stoned person at a party and if you've been smoking the same thing as them, you're like, whoa, like you're right. Time really is an illusion. <laughs> but if you're sober, you're just like, this guy's a bong rat and I want to go home. <laughs> if, if you've been vibing with Coldplay, then maybe you're going to listen to this record and go, yeah, I, I get it. You know, and I understand where Chris Martin's at. But for me, who admittedly not a Coldplay fan, I kind of found myself just going, What's he trying to say? And especially, as we'll get on to, why would you pick this way to try to say it? So, I mean, first of all, Colm, not not that I want to correct you in any way here, but it's actually five emojis, not four. They really went all in on this. And it's like, what the fuck are we doing? Actually, you're right. You're right. Because the very first track, I don't know if it's my phone's settings or whatever, just it won't even show. (laughs) <laughs> I just have an empty box at track one. Uh, nice. Well, Chris Martin has an empty well, I think, when it comes to creativity on this one. So oh, yeah. it's it's just Craig managed to kind of t- like, like I, I, I was thinking, how would I approach this review? And I wanted to talk about the discography for sure, because I think that they're such a strange band for, for the band they are. And they're like one of the most nakedly commercial bands out there. They're often um, pilloried by contemporaries and critics. And yet you know, don't care, do they? They're stadium fillers. I maintain they have a bunch of good songs. Um, I think they get more hate than they probably deserve. But at the same time, Chris Martin doesn't make it easy. And it's funny because like, you, like if you go through that discography, it's like, you know, I think Parachutes is a pretty good debut album. I think everyone kind of can take some stuff from that. A Rush of Blood to the Head. I thought, you know, th- there are some songs in that that I really, really can't stand, but I guess it was accomplished. X and Y has some moments. It's a weirdly subdued album for them. 
Um, but from then on, I mean, like I like Milo Zolato a little bit, you know. But then, like, but then then they decide to be John Hopkins for a while, and they produce like two of my favorite Coldplay songs ever in the form of Magic and Midnight. But that album almost kind of isn't canon or something. Like it's just there, and you know, it felt like low key even in its release. Similar to Everyday Life, an album that I've completely forgotten about, despite actually reviewing. Uh, Head Full of Dreams is just absolute muck. And is there anything in between? Maybe possibly, like, I guess fucking... Uh, Viva La Vida and Death and All His Friends like along the way when they decide like let's be French revolutionaries on this one like bonkers Um, and yet generally wildly successful Um, and generally I can roll with it generally I can be like fine like this is grand it's Coldplay who cares Um, but this album to me so much more than A Head Full of Dreams which was already this way but this is worse this is like this is the most cynical album I've heard in a long time. It's desperate. Yeah. And it's like the, the presence of BTS, it's like, let's just cross those fan bases. Let's, let, let, like, I, think it ha- I think that song has like 100 million streams because of BTS, of course. Mm. Selena Gomez is on here. What are you doing? Like, I'm, I hope she got a good check because like, adds nothing. Uh, it just feels so perfunctory. I listened to this album a bunch this week. Um, I, I had it on while I was working. I listened to it sometimes two at a time. And I was always surprised that it was on the last track, which is like 10 minutes long or something. That's the Coleraturo one, which I have to assume is written for Dakota Johnson or something um, by Chris Martin, because it's a very devotional track. And it's, and, it, and it's the one song on here, I think, where I find myself being like, oh, this could be a really good song. Like, all the elements are there. And it's got nice little kind of breathy moments and nice Chris Martin at the piano moments. And like, I believe that he believes what he is saying. But generally, everything here is a facsimile of what Coldplay have done before. The lead single, Higher Power, which is like watered down Hurts Like Heaven, which was watered down Bruce Springsteen, which was whatever. Like, it's just, uh, there's just something so depressing. I don't know how Chris Martin can do interviews and stand over this record and be like, I'm, oh, this is like something I've always wanted to make because it sounds like AI. It sounds like algorithm. It sounds like an evil Coldplay robot factory that had been just put together and the real band are like bound and gagged in some fucking musicians or like A&R basement somewhere. <laughs> there's nothing here to cling to. There's nothing here to enjoy. Um, maybe not ironically enough, there's zero humanity apart from, like I say, a couple of those kind of naked piano moments at the very end. But again, you've heard it all before. on parachutes especially like this is just you can't say hang it up lads because they are licensed to print money they announced a world tour there about a week or two ago a sustainable world tour i don't know how they're going to do that but i was talking to someone and i was like oh there's no irish day do you reckon there will be and they were saying well you know they are the kind of band that could sell out croke park three times over and I was like, wow, three times over. Do you think so? And he was like, yeah, they definitely could. And I'm like, five yeah, nights maybe. or none at all. I'm like, maybe they, maybe they could, but they probably won't because of, you know, carbon footprint and the amount of money comes to come over here. But that's a whole other conversation for a band that are so routinely beaten down. They have a huge fan base. Um, but this has to be completionless only. This is content. I, 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 I can't have an emotion about this record, Craig. Yeah, this is infinite content. Your point on the AI thing was really on point because I just felt listening to this, you know, as we all assume that at some point in the not so distant future, AI will be sophisticated enough that we just get, you know, flooded with endless melodies that sound, you know, real Uncanny Valley stuff of like, this is, we don't need people anymore. And I think that future is already here and it's Chris Martin. He's like AI made flesh in terms of just, he's an agreeable melody machine. He's like a kind of pop rock, like Burt Bacharach without a Hal David. So the lyrics mean nothing. Uh, Even his vocals at this point, 
like you could have the melodies played in a kazoo and there'd be as much emotional heft because I just don't, nothing you're saying has any real weight except maybe that closer slightly. And it's, it feels very cynical. Yeah, it does. It's just, it reminded me of when they did the Super Bowl, which I think they did, they did a good job of that because they did that kind of classic British or Coldplay like understated bashful thing of like we'll cede the spotlight to actual pop stars and um, you know Bruno Mars I think Beyonce and then they let the kind of big sing-along kind of hooks carry the day and I think the message then was like look we're kind of rock and roll dinosaurs but we can assimilate with this brave new pop world and survive and indeed thrive I think that's this album it's just like let's ramp everything up let's get Max Martin in who's going to, you know, make the lyrics even worse because he just cares about the syllables like being there to carry notes. So you get stuff like, it hurts like so to let somebody go. And it's like, this means nothing. Can I ask you, when do you think this happened? Because for example, like you go back to that first record and it wasn't quite, you know, the Benz or anything, but you know, it was a, it was a good indie UK rock record from a band that sounded like they would have played in a garage together. And also, what would that band think of this band? Or does that even matter? Was this always the path? Chris Martin has talked about how you two were the North Star, I think. So I think as soon as the second album really blew up, he saw them as becoming that stadium act. And he followed all those things of like, here is looking at the lineage of popular music and ginormous bands here's what they've done and he's just followed a blueprint and the band are just that's the problem they always feel even when they're quote-unquote experimenting it's just like a watered-down version of something that's gone before so to get Brian Eno in at a point when everyone gets Brian Eno in it's just they're very very competent but they don't really have that spark to make you go shit that that's weird like some of the more interesting musical moments on this maybe a coloratura or something like that they move away from this, um, like, 80s, like, the higher power thing is just, like, blinding lights or every 80s kind of yacht rocky kind of smooth thing of them doing, like, the Bonnie Ver thing again. But when they have nice, impactful moments, it's a bit kind of Floydian. It's a bit kind of like Pink Floyd. But as I'm listening, I'm just like, Pink Floyd were the same kind of, you know, posh British dudes, but they were a bit, like off-kilter and they're a bit eccentric and you need those kind of eccentric posh British dudes but Coldplay aren't eccentric there's that famous quote of like them talking about how at the very start they were like if anyone in this band tries cocaine they're immediately kicked out (laughs) I'm not saying they should all do cocaine and then record an album although I would love to hear it but it's that kind of thing of just like this is our career (laughs) and you're hearing very careerist pop rock and it just does nothing for me It was interesting that you mentioned kind of Pink Floyd and having that, you know, at least sort of element of genuine experimentation because there's a track on here, Beautiful, which I got real Yoshimi Bottles the Pink Robots vibes, just actually Mm. like in the melody itself. But obviously you go back, first of all, it's 20 years since the Flaming Lips were making those albums. And frankly, that was the Flaming Lips probably at some of their more restrained this is Coldplay apparently kind of champing at the bit to, to do something particularly exciting. And stranger still is the fact that the entire album, I mean, the concept, the conceit, the song titles, just about every lyric is angled at this sort of like, you know, cosmological wonder or whatever, you know, the vast expanse of the universe and the infinite potential of space and time. 
And they've just asked Max Martin to put a 2021 sheen on it. Yeah. And how can you possibly expect it to have a transportive quality? How, how could you ever think, oh, this is an interesting sense of perspective when it is so completely, inherently stuck in the here and now? If you heard this album in a year's time, three, five years' time, you'd be able to date it. And There's... if it came out three, five years ago, before BTS had crossed over, for instance, you'd say, wow, K-pop influences, that's kind of different. Now it's so run-of-the-mill that, mm. yeah, it, it undermines the entire process for me. You uh, you talk about dating an album. I mean, like, there's a track on here called People of the Pride that has, like, watered-down <laughs> little muse guitar. It's, like, yeah. from 2001. Like, they could, could never really rock out, could they? Like, what the fuck? And then you and, have, and like... it's got a watered-down political anthem in its lyrics. Yeah, it's bad. And then you also have, like, is it Earth Emoji? Uh, which is the Olay chant. And I was like, oh. am I at a gig in Marley Park right now? What's happening? And also, another damning aspect, and again, this, this goes into something we've kind of been tapping in to lately where it's like just like Spotify and how we consume music and such but like I mentioned I listened to this a bunch and I have every time it would end um it would automatically like redirect into like a midpoint track on the album or something there's no breath and it was like this kind of weird thing where I was like I could I could find myself having gone through the experience of an album and then all of a sudden I'm on track five again and I don't even realize I'm like, wait a minute, I think, oh, that's Cena Gomez. That's not the last track on the album. I've already heard this. Spotify's just redirected me like a fucking prompt. And that to me sums up the album where it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what track you're on. It doesn't matter like what 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 what, what segment of the record. It doesn't matter what your listener experience is. It matters that it exists and that it will make money. And I think it already has like done really well in terms of whatever sales count for these days. And that to me, like, again, like, like I say, I think Coldplay get more stick than they probably deserve. But like, I just find this depressing. I found it a very depressing experience. Can I ask, because we've all mentioned it individually now, Coloratura, the closing track, is it something of a saving grace here? Yes. Clutching at straws, I know, but... It is. It's, ple- it's pleasant. It's grand. It certainly doesn't, like, didn't knock me off my seat. It needs to exist the, outside the album. The beautiful melody is good as well. It does, yeah. It's... it's, it's too little, I mean, too late. I, I couldn't. Ha- I couldn't help but wonder if the reason it works is because it's ten minutes long, and so that it no longer has that sort of awkward clash of ideals that some of the other tracks do, where they're trying to jam in these sort of highfalutin, you know, pseudo intellectual lyrics and the sonics that they very clearly said, right, you know, we've got one track, let's just make the rest of the album fit. Yeah, but I think they're, you know, so scared and so burnt from the last record not doing those kind of numbers. They're just, they were probably like, okay, the closer can be something that's a bit looser and slightly more experimental and, you know, we'll fade out with that and it's grand. But they will never, I think, again, do an album of that kind of stuff because they realise that they're in the kind of hits business, I guess, and they're just weirdly actually going back to you too. So they're like just over 20 years in. They're at the same point in their careers that you two were when you two came back with like all that you can't leave behind, which was kind of very much you two being like, okay, we've been putting out weird stuff, much more interesting, better weird stuff, I think, in the form of like pop and all that kind of stuff. Let's like reapply to be the best band, <laughs> the rock and roll band, band in the world. Yeah, the biggest band in the world. <laughs> Our job application to once <laughs> again you know be what? the biggest they, rock they, Jesus. Yeah, they did it. And like, there's some good <laughs> songs on that. And, you know, it's better than this album. But it does feel like Coldplay are kind of doing that, but... They're just reapplying for like the job of like, you know, 
biggest perfectly pleasant pop rockers who don't get completely buried by hip-hop i guess yeah this is like this album is the equivalent of like when you're trying to read an article on a on your phone and there's way too much pop-up shit going on there's way too much busy things and you've clicked into a video that you don't want to click into and you've tried to like you know x out of an ad but all of a sudden you're buying a jumper on gap it's just it's just like it's really horrible reflection of the modern age and not in a good way coloratura is a very nice closing track even if it is basic heart and the sleeve sentiment it's just generic like the only thing i want in this world is you baby or whatever um and speaking of babies two of his kids are on this record i think one of them has like a songwriting credit and i assume another one has like i don't know fucking is it was the dream architect of the whole project or something but like <laughs> essentially uh three out of ten i suppose it feels churlish to give it any kind of score but it's just it's so depressing it's an absolute tree for me in honor of um our tree hundred <laughs> the tree of us being here along with yeah, adam. yeah um, tree out of ten tree is a magic number for me as well Let's do excellent it, excellent adam a whole a three from adam as well wow jesus uh well done that's 12 out of uh 40 is that a pass i don't know but we'll pass on not in the mortality sense but in the segment of the show sense (laughs) to our next section uh it is of course time for the top five listener it's top five songs about music uh craig fitzpatrick i asked you to cue us in at the start so i don't need to do that again but if there's anything you want to say speak now or forever hold your peace no, I think people will be pretty clear. It's it's kind of self-explanatory. So we're doing worst and best. I guess we'll let our guest go first and we like to end on the best. So yeah, Colm, if you want to take it away with your number five. Which is yeah, absolutely. And I worst, suppose just I guess. as a little bit of uh, a heading for mine, some of these choices are representative. They're not necessarily the single worst offender, but rather sort sure. of an example of a broader umbrella grouping. Um, but it starts... Very simple, very general. Here is a very bad song about music. That is Miley Cyrus and Timbaland with We Belong to the Music. That song, right? I'm not making this up. I went to clip this for Sonic Architect Adam last night and I assumed I'd got a bad bootleg of it. (laughs) And so I went back to look for an official version and realized that that is in fact what I was working with. It's terrible. And I mean, Miley made a somewhat meta anthem in Party in the USA. So she can do this. And on paper, you figure, oh, add Timbaland in. Okay, that should work. Um, It doesn't. And in pretty rotten fashion, too. It was a Timbaland solo song, right? Rather than a kind of Miley thing he was producing. Which is just like, he had such a terrible strike rate when he tried to become the main artist. Or, you know, that point where everyone was like, Timbaland's a genius. Because he was a genius beat maker for a while there and so influential. But he just kind of... He then started popping up in all the music videos and he, you know, with that grin on his face, like, yeah, I'm the shit. And I think this was when he got to the, yeah, I'm just shit stage of like whatever, whatever album this was. But the the death thud of that beat is just so un-Timbaland and lyrically... Miley's had much better days. I mean, Mr. DJ, look at what you made me do. I was on the dance floor. It's just like, oh, Jesus. What I, do, mean, I do like I do like when people throw in something like Mr. DJ because it has a real, you know, <laughs> hello, Mr. Taxi Man vibe of rural <laughs> Ireland. 
DJ everything. Um, when this started, I I I, I froze for a second because I was like, "Is that Selena Gomez? Is he going after my gal, Selena Gomez? I hope he isn't." Um, Miley Cyrus gets a lot of stick, and I think on this show we tried to rein that in a bit, but this yeah. is pretty bad. "Party in the USA," by the way, is a great song. I think I like to drop this piece of trivia every single time. Do we know who co-wrote "Party in the USA"? What songwriter? Trent Reznor. No, it wasn't. Uh, what UK pop star? co-wrote Party in the USA, a very maligned UK pop star for, you know, I guess valid reasons, but no, no one. I'll know it once you say it. Hold on. Give me one second. It's... Um, go on. Uh, go on. You want to know? It's Jesse J. Jesse J. co-wrote oh, oh, okay. Party in the USA. Who knew that she was able to her. capture the the kind of the, the rural uh, back roads of, of country Americana? Who knew? But no, but this is just... The, yeah, the, the Timbaland production and the Timbaland kind of elements to this. I mean, like, there was, like, you've alluded to it, but, like, there was that, that brief period of time, that very kind of, like, you know, I guess, what, 05, 06, 07, maybe a bit of a way. Yeah. Where, like, Timbaland, like, you couldn't go to an iClub and not hear a Timbaland track every five minutes. And then he brought out his album Shock Value. And I remember all the uh, all the critics were like, this is absolute garbage. And yeah. it was like, wow, the, the corner was turned so sharp. And I'm sure he's still around, but like there was like, it was almost like pop culture said, no, we don't want you to be a celebrity. Just, you know, thanks for everything, but please just, just step away if, if you don't mind. I mean, did we did, need did, to indulge in revisionist history and realize that it was all Nelly Furtado? What about oh, that's a good One shout. Republic column? <laughs> Throw them into the mix. We've been through With those this. seal noises in the background, he did nail those. And the Missy Elliott stuff. I mean, he was good for a bit, in fairness to the man. JT? As JT, Adam says. oh, as Adam JT? says. Yeah, yeah, sexy yeah. back. My love. Cullen, yeah, no, he was very, very Cullen good. makes a good point, though, about Nelly Furtado. Like, I think, if anything, she was a bit overshadowed. And that album's great. And there's Say it right. Incredible. incredible. Man Eater's incredible. Promiscuous. Fucking rules. Nelly Furtado top five? We could do that. <laughs> we could do that. But uh, yeah, okay, Colin, you've, you, you've poisoned the well for us to start this off. Songs about music. Craig, we got to get this back on track. It is Craig and I together this week. Uh, I will yeah. say, I kind of mostly just let Craig do the hard work on this list. And I was like... We had a fair bit of crossover. It came together seamlessly, really. It was... It did, thought yeah. it'd be a bit more more difficult but um yeah um we're uh, as i said <laughs> in the email we're a two-headed hydra of exquisite taste and yeah so of course our first pick is a song that's also a metaphor we've gone for symbolic bangers and um here's the first one i guess Chestnut there with the roots, uh, the seed 2.0 is the track, and a bit of a like 20th century musical history lesson, um, wrapped up in like this kind of darker love story slice of erotica. There's a lot going on, so the roots are, um, kind of like the modern standard bears of like Philly greatness musically. Um, they operate on a lot of different levels. Um, we can forgive them maybe for their lowest level, which is house bands on that Jimmy Fallon show. I was but, you just know, about to gotta say. Eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is from 2002, before all that. Um, Phrenology was the album critically acclaimed. Didn't quite do the numbers of, um, the breakthrough, which was Things Fall Apart, which was 99, I think, summertime for humanity. Um, 
but this was like them doing a lot of fusion stuff. So Neo Soul, um, rock as well. And I remember at this point in time, like you'd have, you'd see interviews with Questlove and he'd be rocking like Strokes t-shirts and they just felt like a very modern hip hop act. They were all kind of um, players, seemed to be a great live proposition and Black Thought. Um, in Black Thought, you've got one of the great rappers, I think. <clears throat> who's kind of stepped on, I guess, because he's in a group. But this is like a great example of what he does so well, where along with the chorus, you've got this very strange story of like him impregnating or trying to get women pregnant and being a bit of a rogue. But the character is actually, it's a metaphor for like Mary is, I think, the music industry. And it's a lot to do with the money, the kind of control of artistic freedom that happens in the industry and how the roots and how really great music can kind of be, can kind of like be smuggled in and their ambitions to kind of get out proper rock and roll, mix things up, cross genres under the nose of labels that are kind of trying to rein them in. Um, it's really powerful. It was a huge kind of, or it was a pretty big hit. Um, it's a bop that everyone knows, but there's a lot going on there. Dave? So I think a testament to just how good this song is, is that I think Craig, Craig and I is right. We, we moved pretty fast on this top five. We kind of just threw two separate long lists to each other with some preferences. And in the end, uh, we came down to a tough decision. And mm-hmm. it was between this and between Killing Me Softly, I believe. And yeah, it was. I was saying, I was like, well, we have to have Killing Me Softly. Like, that would be fucking... I think I said it would be a dereliction of duty to not include it. And then we didn't include it, Craig. So... <laughs> well, we didn't include it. I like the thing because I was um, doing some research as I want to do. It was on the Wikipedia page for Killing Me Softly. All in, and yeah. In the, you went in deep. The, <laughs> yeah. It turns out that Killing Me Softly is about... Don McLean, <laughs> he is the singer that's like, uh, just, and that shattered everything for me. I'm just like, really? <laughs> Dastardly Don McLean of American yeah. Pie fame? That could possibly feature and it maybe could. a bad list. I don't know. You never um, know. So yeah, no, that's an amazing song as well. But yeah, this, we have to go with this. It's a bop. No, oh, it's Belter. And I, I, oh, I, sorry, I, go ahead, Dick. Before I throw it to Colm, I, I, I just want to agree with Craig that um, Black Thought probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Mm. Uh, incredible stuff. And yeah, like this was... It was a tough decision, but like I, I think as soon as I threw this on again for the first time in a while, I was like, yeah, if we don't include this, we'll be, I think we'll be shortchanging everybody. But Cullum, it's time for you to shortchange us with another negative slice <laughs> of the music industry. You, you did say that you, you wanted to justify your own exit from the music industry, so um, I'm, I'm curious about how personal this list might get. No, it, it's going as broad as possible, to be honest. Although, like I say, I did set myself some rules, uh, one of which included that there could be only one shot at enter here rock and roll and it's this step in and apologize to the listeners we we, we we coached them all week guys i know he, there's a bit of rust here but like it appears cullum has in fact misunderstood the assignment <laughs> and not realized what side of the coin he's on because this couldn't possibly be on the you, you, you're joking <laughs> what is this again remind everybody this is we built this city by starship and um when their own singer grace slick 
said, uh, our big hit single, We Built a City, was awful. I felt like I'd throw up on the fir- front row, but I smiled and sang it anyway. Um, she's described it as the worst song ever written. And like I say, I just, I wanted one representative for rock and roll. Um, when yeah. I started researching this, I realized, right, we could have done a top five best and worst ACDC songs specifically about rock and roll because you have rock and roll singer, <laughs> rock and roll train, rock and roll damnation, rock and roll dream. You have rock your heart out, rock the house, rock or bus, rock the blues away. Let there be rock for those about to rock. She likes rock and roll, can't stop rock and roll. And it continues. You forgot the cover of Rock the Boat, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, on this, can I, can I just jump in for a second and say that I legitimately sent to Craig in my long list Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which Craig completely just ignored, so. I mean, so there's two massive, ma- well, I mean, there's a lot of massive flaws in this song, to be perfectly honest. I focused on two, um, one of which is because it's like this synth-soaked, 80s like so 80s it was already pastiche and so far removed from rock and roll is number one and number two is that unlike the songs that i hope you guys are going to play it's so far below the standards of what it's trying to salute you know this is the equivalent of i don't know like me writing a song for dahi's birthday you know he'd presumably say no thank you i'm better (laughs) at this than you are and that is how i imagine the entire of rock and roll would have responded to starship Uh, it's a great choice to write that song though oh yeah 100 yeah get that written um it feels like it stands for the kind of degradation of the slow degradation of like 60s rock and roll as well because starship i believe didn't they start off as like jefferson airplane they were jefferson airplane yeah yeah and then they kind of morphed into like Jefferson Starship. They kind of lost the members and yep. brought in like became a supergroup. And then they end up just being Starship and doing this in the 80s where it's just like everyone's left the band except like one bloke who wants to be sick on himself because he's got to sing this song. And, and you it's might, just like, and it's you over. might know them now as Atomic Kitten. <laughs> <laughs> they're playing the, um, they're playing that, that fully seated 90s disco event this weekend. Although with the latest announcement, maybe some people can stand. I don't fucking know anymore. Um, I will say, yeah, I was being a little bit ironic. This is a terrible song. And it is also like, how many films do you reckon this is in? How many 80s montages and just like ironic or otherwise, do you reckon like, ha- like can a song be truly bad if it makes millions of dollars for the people who wrote it? That's what I want to know. I mean, we literally just discussed the Coldplay album 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, and I was very damning then, so I will move on. Yeah. Um, can, this, can this be enjoyed at all, Cullum, though? Can it be enjoyed ironically? Can it be enjoyed on a dance floor at three in the morning when you're absolutely trashed? Or is it is this completely like nails on chalkboard? I can't fucking do it, man. No, I mean, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. And I think this says a, as much about me as it does about the music. There are very few songs that I can't enjoy at three o'clock when I'm trashed. Can you here, here. can you think of anyone right now like that you'd be like I absolutely can't do this because I remember I, I said before it wasn't three in the morning but I said before that like Atl- uh, Atlas by Battles um, caused a friend of mine in in, in the Russian Dove and Galway to leave the dance floor. I was like, really? Like it's this is too much for you? Like even when fucking Hey Jude would play Infusion in Drogheda as the Chuckout song. I'd be like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's three in the morning. Who cares? <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, like, there's probably like a few, but maybe this is one of them. Yeah. I haven't been in this scenario though in quite some time though, which is obviously timely enough given that the whole nightclub experience is about to return. Yeah. National anthem maybe? Because <laughs> you're supposed to. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. 
it's back to us. It's number four in the best songs about music. This was a crossover. Um, it's never going to be the one I wanted to be that Craig has a personal connection to, but this will do instead. Yes, indeed. It's B -b 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 Benny and the Jets by Elton John. Not quite Crocodile Rock, though, is it, Craig? But it's pretty good all the same. It's not. What is? It is really good. I, I believe the last time this was played, I might be wrong, the last time this was played in a show, it was um, in the Colm era. It was CE. And it was signposted as a new track from Harry Styles' debut album. Do you remember when we reviewed that? Oh, we just had yeah, clips Jesus. of like all rock songs that he was cribbing from. We did that. We, um, we dragged that. I, 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 I murdered that joke. We were very immature back then, but we've obviously grown ever since. So, and all okay, is forgiven, Harry Styles. Yeah, but Benny and the Jets, it's... Um, Still sounds really weird, doesn't it? But it's kind of intoxicating. It was on Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Um, there's a lot of weird things about it. It's very meta. It's obviously, you know, um, Elton John working with Bernie Taupin, who's his lyricist, and that's it. Like, he just writes. Can I jump in very quickly and tell course, you go ahead, man. that the writer of We Built This City by Starship, or one of them, don't Bernie Taupin. No. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Joking. Bad Bernie Taupin. <laughs> he has been responsible for the last two songs in these lists. What? Oh, my God. What a fall from grace. That's what 12 years can do. Um, wow. <laughs> to go from, like, how cynical this song is and brilliant about, like, it's like a fictional, it's a song about a fictional band, and it's very much like they're all style, no substance, and piss take. So maybe... He's tapped into it for like yeah, for a fucking gun for hire type scenario. I have to assume maybe the magic of Elton. Um, and yeah, Elton John's talked about like when he saw the lyrics or when he got the lyrics, he's like, "This is an off the wall type of song. Like it's going to be an R and B ish thing, funky sound." And then they ended up just having like the audience sounds um, put in, which doesn't always work, as we heard on um, the Coldplay record. It does in other songs as well. Does anyone know another song that features kind of crowd noises? It, by Elton John or in general? Just in general. Uh, um, Jesus. I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. I Met Go a on. Girl. Uh, Down by the Disco. <laughs> Is that how that Razor Light classic. <laughs> Razor I Met Light. a Girl. <laughs> oh, sorry. Of course. Uh, she, uh, she asked me my name. So I told her what it was. I told her what it yeah. was. Somewhere else yeah. by... Somewhere else has like those crouchers in it. So it doesn't... It kind of works in that one. Nine I don't Inch know. Nails, uh, you know, obviously Nine Inch Nails correspond over here. Right Where It Belongs, which might be my favourite Nine Inch Nails song, is an absolute absolute stunner. And at the end of it, it, it brings crowd noise into the mix as the song itself just raises in volume. And it is one of the most devastatingly beautiful moments I've ever heard in music. So it didn't make this list up, Craig. Yeah, it might be another top five. Um, but in terms of this song... Um, I just love how kind of loose it is. And um, we recently talked about Bismarck, he um, passed away. He does a kind of live version of this, or he did a live version of this, which is kind of brilliant because it's, you know, his own limitations as a vocalist and it's a really big hearted rendition, um, which people should seek out. But um, great song. And I'm glad it made the list, made the cut. That's number four. Uh, number three is this. Yeah. 
Yes. Bowling for Soup and 1985. <laughs> um, Can you just name that band again? Because the level of, just like, like an RTE newsreader. <laughs> like, Bowling for Soup. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I must say, I didn't realise uh, that I should have probably done what Craig is doing now and had little bios of the bands ready to go. Um, very bad, what, pop punkers from the early noughts um, yeah. who broke out with Girl All the Bad Guys Want. And this, I imagine, oh. was from the album after that, at the very least. And, I mean, it's a terrible, terrible song. Let's just get that out of the way at the start. Yeah, no is, argument yeah. here. Um, I will say that this is turning into a mismatch. I think Cullum has our number. And I also just wanted to dispel any, because like, I often get lumped in with, oh, I bet Dave liked the, that band. I didn't like this band. I thought they were fucking garbage. Even Teenage Dave was like, well, these guys are absolutely horrendous. Like, Jesus Christ. It's interesting to hear, though, that this was like probably written in response to, um, yeah, people getting back into the 80s at like at this point nearly 20 years ago now that was the first wave of 80s nostalgia and it's still going on what yeah. a decade and of, it is the nostalgia that i've kind of placed it on this list because well first of all long-term listeners of the show will know that a huge bugbear of mine is songs about particular years you'll remember me ranting about yeah. marie's 2002 <laughs> or 1999 by charlie xcx i think you were mostly and correctly took aim at the, the the logic holes throughout that track and how it didn't add up. Yeah. <laughs> Literally didn't add up. Well, I I, yeah, I think it was a combination of like the songs that were not from 2002 and the idea that she was dancing on the hood of a Mustang when she would have been an 11-year-old in <laughs> Essex. That could happen. You never know. I mean, perhaps. But yeah, it, this kind of misty-eyed nostalgia, which, and I mean, you know, it's throughout music really you know pete seeger talking about old time rock and roll and how new music has no soul and it's like so what where does that leave you yeah uh you you know the kind of like they don't make them like they used to is a grating take a a lot of the time in music i believe but to be almost sort of like devaluing your own work while you're at it is sort of the icing on the cake I guess the point is they don't make them like they used to, except for us, which makes it even more obnoxious. Mm. Um, so yeah, you've summed up a vast swathe of awful music right there. Yeah, and sorry, speaking of songs they don't make like they used to, uh, uh, number, three on, <laughs> number three on our side of the list, best songs in music. This one for me was a real, like, this was my this was my lock. This was my, no, Craig, this has to be in the top five. And my main primary reason was, um, when else are we going to get the opportunity? We've never played this on the show before. It's been a long time since I've even gone near it, but now's the time to do it. Here's our number three. takes me back that's rhythm is a dancer by snap a german euro dance group who are still around today despite having only released three albums in their career the last one being in 1994 congratulations this song i believe came out in 91 was it or 92 um yeah 
a track that has it has a questionable lyric or two as it as it opens up as Cullen was kind of saying off mic. I don't know if if, if the phrase it's a, if Rhythm is Dancer it's, well, it's as serious as Cancer should really be like yeah. that, that's a bit too much. Um, and maybe it was meant in a very kind of I don't know guilt edged way or something. But I like, think it used to be like that was just a line that was used in hip hop a lot in like the eighties and stuff. So it was just a phrase. You know what I mean? Probably yeah. didn't think too much about it. We'll port it over. Um, yeah, wouldn't get away with that today probably, and rightly so. No one needs to be thinking about horrible serious things like that when you listen to a banger like this and the thing is this song fucking haunted my youth guys i mean i must have been what like six if that eight one of those yeah. and i was just like i wasn't going clubbing or anything i wasn't hanging out with Anne marie <laughs> dancing on mustangs <laughs> but like this was just everywhere right this was like the sound of long wave radio atlantic 252 and just like oh that's a good shout yeah yeah man and that's kind of what brought me back to it um a banger is a banger is a banger and rhythm is part of music as we all know maybe the most important part of music craig what do you think um, I would probably go with melody, but it's maybe another discussion. I'm a drummer, um, mate. I do like some rhythm. Yeah, you are indeed. This is when you when you put it to me that was, like, when are we ever going to get the chance to have this song on again? And I was like, is this a once in a lifetime opportunity to have a song by Snap? <laughs> Sorry, not a song by Snap. The song. The, the song by Snap. snap. I went back and I put it on and yeah, that wave of nostalgia, man. And you, yeah, you, you hit it, um, you hit it, hit the nail on the head there where it was just like, it wasn't the sound of like clubbing. It was the sound of what we all assumed clubbing was like when we were exactly. too young to go clubbing yeah. and the promise of it. And it sounded great. And it also has that kind of Euro dance, like nineties house thing of like, it's very melancholic as well. <laughs> like it's very minor key and intense and indeed serious. And, and as, um, as we kind of alluded to earlier, if you're making music that is designed to be played on a dance floor at 3am, you can get away with a lot. Yeah. And even in doing this, you know, like there's a lot of sort of like last night a DJ saved my life, addicted to bass, blah, blah. It's, dance music is a good home for the homage to music in general. Yeah, but yeah. also like the, the Eurodance thing. I mean, like this is so much better than what it birthed, right? It was like, you know, you think about like Sash and, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, Tina Arena or whatever. And you're just like, no, I'm sorry. This kind of rules. As Craig says, there's a melancholic streak running through it. It's a bit unconventional in its way. It's very insistent in a good way. And it's kind of an all timer. I, I think it has stood the test of time in a weird way. It's nostalgia that I like to go back on what Colin was saying. It's nostalgia that I don't hate. And there is a weird you know, kind of oh, glass half full, glass half empty for again, an eight year old kid vibe to it. Like it's kind of, there's a weird power to this, man. And I think even as a surface level banger, I'm like, they don't make them like that anymore. So yeah, this was like, I'm glad that Craig did not fight me on this. And in fact, we got to celebrate that rhythm is in fact a dancer. Call him over to you. Well, you guys discussed rhythm and melody as being two keys of music. <laughs> another. That's what is, people come to the show for. An, another I'm rhythm, is he's lyrics, melody. And you don't get uh, an in-depth dive into lyricism more than this. Dave appears to have pretty much given up on the show at this point. I took my headphones off, listener. I can still hear Disgusted. it, though. This is quite possibly 
and I know I love my hyperbole, but this might be my most hated song of all time. Cullum, over to you. Don't you mean hyperbole, Dave? <laughs> it's time for some hyperbole. <laughs> Introduce this one, Cullum. I mean, yeah, so this is Natasha Bedingfield and these words. Um, and like I say, yeah, I like forever. Until the day I die, the thing I will remember most about this song is the fact that it does contain her singing the word hyperbole in the middle eight. Uh, now, as a fan of American football, that would pique my interest even better than the Super Bowl. But no, it's her trying to say hyperbole. Um, yeah, th- th- Superbly. There's a few things here, um, including, to kind of call back to Coldplay, the pseudo-intellectualism of, you know, Shelley and Keats over hip-hop beats and, again, rather undermined by everything else that's around it. But I hold a special grudge against songs that are almost like a disclaimer of sort of like, you know, this has been quite difficult for me and I need you to understand the struggle. And I realise it's probably, <laughs> it's like, you know, not necessarily a conscious decision to be like that. But uh, like, you know, I turned it into something of a mantra during my time on the show that like, you know, I don't like to look at music like your maths homework where I can actually see your work. And uh, this is a rather horrid example of when that happens. I thought this would be number one with a bullet. It's the first song that came to mind when we decided to do worst alongside best. It's just, it just makes me cringe out of my own skin. I can't, um, yeah, I just can't. Can I'll, we move on, Dave? If you, do you I want can. to talk more about this? Absolutely. Go on. <laughs> I can for a second. I mean, like, I don't want to encourage hatred on anybody, uh, least of all female artists in the industry, because they get more than enough of that, don't they? But at the same time, I can't sanction the buffoonery of this, to quote Tommy Lee Jones about Jim Carrey. Um, I worked in Extravision when this was out, so I was haunted by it. Like, we had the box on all the time, so I heard this thing, like, fucking 11 times a day. It's just the worst. It's the worst example of just, like, this kind of song, I think. And, like, Sash Bedingfield, I mean, it's between this and, I guess, like, Unwritten was a really big song because it was the theme song to the hills i believe yeah and by the way i won't have a bad word said there i did a i did a full hill, <laughs> i did a I, I did a full hills rewatch during lockdown one okay it was on amazon prime and i'm guessing for rights reasons they'd actually edited out the theme song oh wow. and so every episode nina and i would watch the first scene pause it sing unwritten and then start watching it again <laughs> that's marital it's bliss adorable. everybody that's adorable i will say as someone who like obviously had my you know my kind of snobbiness about the hills back in the day i did have i remember i remember very very vividly i had one particular horrendous hangover when the hills was still a thing and i remember being unable to leave the couch one day on a sunday afternoon and mtv were just like it's the hills from the first episode until whatever season they're on then and i genuinely didn't have the strength to move and so i ended up watching about like 18 episodes of the hills and by the end of it, I was really invested. But I could never invest in these words by Natasha Bedingfield. I don't know if I have the capacity or the eloquence to really kind of drill down into why I hate this so much. But it is, I, I say it every episode on the show, people are probably, probably sick of hearing it, but like physical reaction to music. But this is the bad physical reaction to music. This made me want to fucking run out into, just run, just keep running. Just just run and just see where I ended up and just never stop. And maybe like have somebody just never hold, stop, never stop. Someone, have someone just hold me for a minute and tell me it'll be okay. It's, this it will how, be okay, Dave. Th- this is how, like if there was, and now that's what I call Dave Goes to Hell CD. It's this is the number one track on both CDs, both sides. Craig, rescue us, please. Yeah, let's go to the good and go and mention Lockdown One. This was a bit of a Lockdown One tune for me. Dave, I know you obviously love it too. And it's there's a bit of synchronicity because this is a song kind of about the difficulty of the songwriting process, but it's good. Here we go. (laughs) 
better thanks Craig David Byrne Brian Eno <laughs> Strange Overtones is a song it's from their 2008 collaboration album um, which followed on from their like 1981 collaboration album which was a bit of a landmark in terms of like collage um, recording and sampling and stuff and it was great um, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts we've talked about it previously on the show but this was a record kind of about like um, impinging technology and you know trying to stay optimistic in spite of like you know the bleakness of all of that kind of stuff and yeah this song very much does it it's been described as like an up-tempo electronic gospel song by the guys and um, I just love it I think it works really well like it's it sounds like it is a piano ballad um, although I think Eno had the instrumental first, but just I love when you elevate those kind of ballads to something that has just a belter of a beat underneath it. It's given some real oomph. There's rollicking rhythm parts there and they work really well together, as we know, because, you know, Eno's kind of history with talking heads uh, is undeniable, really, the stuff they did, um, the albums in the late 70s, early 80s. And it was great to kind of see them match those standards. There's some amazing lyrics in this. Um it's an amazing kind of partnership and it's kind of about them, I think, as well. Like, it's that thing of just, you like, I love that opening of I wake up every morning, uh, I hear your feet on the stairs, you're in the next apartment, I hear you sing over there. It sounds like the start of a short story or something. And it just kind of goes from there. And um, just doing the rounds on Twitter this week, um, weirdly enough, was Brian Eno, a Brian Eno quote about David Byrne and their, like, friendship, which I thought was hilarious. Brian Eno, Brian Eno was saying... He's a genuine eccentric, David Byrne. He's always been exactly like that, and I've seen him remain like that in quite extreme situations. For instance, we were mugged together once in New York. It was quite frightening. We were mugged by 14 people. My enduring memory is of David being dragged off into the bushes saying, uh-oh. <laughs> That's absolutely true. It was like a cartoon scene. Can totally can imagine that. David Byrne being yanked off and just like, uh-oh. Barefoot, presumably, and, as well. Yeah, incredible. And an incredible partnership. Jesus. Um, fucking, what a song. Um... I guess we mentioned Derelict and Judy earlier on. I guess not including David Byrne on songs, but music would be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I have to ask, though, we've talked about David Byrne's recent activities, particularly the incredible American Utopia tour, which I saw in person and it was amazing. Um, we mentioned Brian Eno on the Coldplay review, Craig. I mean, how do you feel about Brian Eno 2021 edition, whatever that even means anymore? I don't keep up with him too much, to be honest. Like, he seems to. <laughs> He was just a kind of a, a real gun for hire for a couple of years and the Coldplay stuff. And it just seemed like, I don't know, maybe he got to a point where he's commanding huge fees to kind of attach his name to stuff. And I'm not saying phoning it in, but he wasn't like pushing boundaries in the way he had previously. Um, I just don't, you know, back in the day you'd hear Eno's coming on board and you'd be like, okay, shit's about to get weird. And now I think you hear it and you're like, okay, shit's about to get like a bit 
U2 ambient it's safe yeah. like no line on the horizon or something so I don't know. Well, he's, he's done enough he's also been me. extremely prolific and quite experimental which are probably two qualities where you go look a bit of hit or miss is fair enough totally yeah yeah uh, he gets a pass call him you know because because I, I, I do feel like you know you you're you're an all-round character i i, I believe and i mean that the, <laughs> i mean that in the in the nicest possible way you're a real card you've uh you, you've never been comically mugged have you no 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 i haven't i'm glad I, to learn that yeah i i pretended that i'd been once because i'd just fallen over while drunk and caught myself <laughs> so what was the what was the fabricated story well, i had to go home to my parents like you know covered in blood and they were like what happened and i was like oh, i i got mugged yeah because it was far more uh yeah pleasing than a story of how i just got so drunk i fell over i hope wow. they don't listen to this Wasting police time. That's what he does, everybody. But not wasting our time. Reported. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I believe it's time, though. For your number a one. Neighborhood right? ruffian in a lineup going, yeah, it was him. Fuck it. A ruffian. <laughs> All right. Number, number one on the worst side, please, Colin. All right. Uh, yeah, as you say, Natasha Beddingfield, I genuinely did think about putting it at number one. Um, but then, if you're not familiar with this yet, uh, if you were smart enough to stay away from the record, um, well, this, it'll hopefully be as much as you ever hear of it. This is my number one. Have you got my latest record project? You got my latest record project? Not something that I used to do. Not something that you're used to. Cullen, what have you done? You've opened Pandora's box that we've kept closed for a year and a half. I can't... Oh, oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listener. Cullen, explain yourself. Yeah, that's um, latest record project, the opening track to Van Morrison's latest record project, a two-hour double album which includes such hits as <laughs> The Long Con, Big Lie, They Own the Media, Why Are You on Facebook, and Stop Bitching, Do Something. Incredible. Oh, oh my God. This man made Astral Weeks. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's made a whole lot more. Uh, yeah, um, uh, I mean, honestly, you know, I could have picked this entire album to illustrate my point where there's one track called Where Have All the Rebels Gone, which is obviously a lament for the good old days of rock and roll. Um, there's It's Only a Song, which is a real sort of, you know, oh, I'm just I'm just writing this and, and a meta in itself. Um, and I guess the kicker is that because it's Van Morrison, because he wrote Astral Weeks and because it's put to music, it's got more cultural heft than the rantings of a senile old lunatic ever really should. And that might be the biggest problem with music at all. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's too powerful. It, that is a really good point because just even listening to that clip and like it starts out stuttering and it's it's not great whatsoever. But because it's that voice and because he's got certain like musical habits and stuff, there's slight kind of um, points where you're like, okay, I remember that from like far better material and it just makes you so sad. But then there's a whole other audience that's like, this is great. And yeah, he's got a point. And is there any chance that we're in the wrong and Van Morrison is actually on the right side of history, guys? Are we living on a 
prison planet? No, Craig. Uh, okay. Just checking. <laughs> I'm just going to shut that down. Um, he was, of course, on The Late Late Show, I believe, a couple weeks ago for the Bob Geldof special. So I saw that clip. Did you? It was I, weird. Was it? I didn't watch it. Please, pl- please explain. He was like... Um, I think he was in LA or something by the sea, just like staring down the barrel of the camera. And he's just like very gruffly as is his way kind of saying, I'm in LA and um, yeah, lovely weather here and (laughs) happy birthday, Bob. And like lots of silence and awkwardness. And then at some point someone turns the camera off. (laughs) (laughs) Did did he get Ian Paisley Jr. with him to start a chant or anything? No. Oh my God. No, sadly not. I will say I found it very satisfying that his entire, you know, hardcore heel turn pivot to this phase of his career, coupled with the album coming out, happened somewhere, I think, like probably three quarters of the way through Hot Press's um, living deification of the man and their Rayvon Van Morrison campaign. And it was like, fuck me. I mean, if any other publication cared to, like, they might consider stopping it. But no, they raved on themselves because, you know, celebrate the man, I suppose, but not the van. And I will say, again, I talked about it being a mismatch Cullum has really brought his A-game on this one and made us all question music itself Craig thank God for our number one am I right? Yeah I think so this is a group that's probably um mentioned more in this podcast than anywhere else in media I'd imagine <laughs> um sadly but they did have one humongous moment and this is it they dancing behind movie scenes shop with brim full of asha it's the original of course uh remixed famously by norma cook and i do like that version as well where he kind of like sped it up essentially which is what he did when he remixed stuff added some scratches and bleeps and he got his first number one out of it and it was kind of everywhere which was great it was a great moment in kind of pop culture and probably the kind of thing that won't really happen that much anymore where it's like i guess a bit of a one-hit wonder that weird meta thing of it being a celebration of the power of music and singles specifically 45s and most of the people that were bopping along to it not understanding what it was about or like there's a clip of corner shop um when this took off in america um being interviewed on mtv uh, by kurt loader (laughs) and he's very like um very cynical about the whole corner shop thing. He doesn't know, you know, what are these guys up to with their, you know, Indian influences Jesus and Christ. weird indie music. Yeah. And he's like, at one point he goes, um, brimful. Really? <laughs> like the, <you> just, <laughs> what? <laughs> and the two lads, the two lads are just like, I think Ben Ayers picks up like a cup and he's just like, yeah, like, you know, like a cup of coffee, like it's overflowing, like it's, it's a brimful. Like, you know, do people not know what Brimful is? Just, <laughs> I just thought part of the genius of that song was just like that they would use a word like Brimful. It's so good, so evocative. The Asha is Asha Bosley, um, who was a singer and actress in lots of Bollywood stuff. And I think Asha actually in Punjabi means hope as well. So there's deeper meaning there. And there's lots of stuff going on where they're name checking like um, Indian radio. And it's a celebration, as is this top five. Um, 
and as is this show, this 300 episodes. Yeah, it ha- kind of had to be number one, right, Dave? Yeah, they're a wonderful band. Um, yeah. I've often said, like, maybe the most underrated band, you know, that, that are known, you know? I mean, like, uh, we always talk about the healing power of 6am to London Share. You've got Spectral mm. Mornings, Lessons Learned from Rocky 1 to Rocky 3. I think that, you know, they had like, the most recent album was, was grand. It wasn't amazing, but there's always one or two tracks to look out for. Always worth reading interviews with them as well, um, especially yeah. when a new album comes out and they do a fresh interview. They had one in The Guardian there, I think about a year ago. It was excellent, very compelling figures and often, yeah, often misunderstood, often overlooked. Um, I think a lot of musicians, a lot of UK musicians know, like, like know to big them up. Like, I mean, a Stuart Brightway from Mogwai is always just being like, they're fucking incredible and I don't know why they're not bigger than they are. Um and yeah, it's, it's funny because like, I remember like that summer, the summer of the Norman Cook remix of Brimful of Asha. And yeah, sorry, you say like he put some scratches and bleeps and sped it up. He also put out like some, you know, like some kind of, um, some drum fills on there as well, Craig, of course, you know, like just like, to really did, kind yeah. of, like dum, 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 just punch it up. Um, so I'm guessing, uh, OG original for you is the superior. Yeah, I think so. And like, I do actually like the remix, but I just think because the, um, the vocal is kind of pitched up. I actually really like the original vocal and I just think there's a bit more depth and warmth to it. So yeah, I'm not being try hard indie hipster, but it's the original. You are, the early but, stuff, but you that's know? why, but, but <laughs> that's what people want from this show. Cool, Marigan, um, I have to ask, what's your relationship with this song and have we brought you back to the musical good side by the end of this? You know, I mean, I, I had a feeling that this was going to be at number one, to be perfectly honest. I am surprised that Leonard Cohen's Terror Song hasn't made it in here or something like that. Oh, but, um, totally forgot about that. I Yeah, I can remember hearing this track and, I, I mean, if memory serves, what year was this? 99? 98. 98, yeah. So 98, like, I, I I, maybe the remix was 99, actually, was it? it no, it can't have been the... It can't have, being the summer of 1999 was it the summer of summertime for humanity maybe it was i'm gonna look it up you guys keep talking amongst yourselves either either way i was still definitely pre-teen and i can remember just being like what is this because it certainly wasn't comparable to a lot of stuff that was on the charts then um and certainly wasn't comparable to a lot of what it hit these 10 or 11 year old ears and uh yeah i mean i can remember enjoying the song but in truth i never really gave the band that much of a go until i met you two and um yeah I, i mean i'm still not sure whether it's our little quirk uh like like banging Possibly. like banging number one before a night out or something but <laughs> you mean the oh it's, yeah go we, we could have picked number one by Tinchy Strider featuring Endubs, damn it! I, know, I don't I don't, I don't think that featured, really I think, is. Right? Oh, it's coming back again though. Don't worry. Sorry, the original of this came out in August 1997. The Norman Cook remix came out in February 1998. But I still remember that remix being like all over top 30 hits by the summer. I don't know. I'd yeah. say it was still absolutely banging. That was a year long thing, oh, man. Yeah. It was a different time. What a year it was. Was <laughs> what a year it was. What a, what a year it's been. What a six years. Is it six years? Five years we're on now? Five years has been. Five and a half Five. years yeah. of doing no encore. And my God, it was a wonderful delight to welcome Colin Regan back into the fold. I hope we'll see you again. We miss you terribly. We do. Let's do this in person next time. Yeah, that was the plan. Agreed. That was the plan, but unfortunately, just all kinds of scheduling conflicts hit, and this was the very best that we could do. And uh, if you appreciate that, if you appreciate the show, which will, of course, continue to run, you can get us on patreon.com slash noencore. Lots of bonus content for you there. And every little helps us keep the lights on. I want to say a huge thank you as well to our sonic architect, Adam Shanahan. He has not been here for 300 episodes, but he has been here for... 
an integral part of the show's history. It is no exaggeration to state that if he fucked off tomorrow, we would be absolutely doomed. Uh, not just for technical reasons. I know Craig. I, 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 <laughs> existentially. I, I, yeah, I, I was about to get existential. I'm going to get existential because I feel like, you know, I, I I would feel uncomfortable doing the show without his his smiling presence, even on this Zoom window here. So uh, he's as much a part of the show as we are. And as Cullum is, as Dahi is, as Norma Higgs, uh, Tapley, Zara, everyone else who has ever helped the show out. Eve, first Sonic Architect. First Sonic Architect. Great job for Eve years. Murray. Yeah. Who was amazing? Uh, the headstuff lads back in the day, and of course, every, every guest we've ever had, and anyone who's ever like you know even just tuned in and given us a go, um, mm. which means you, listener. Uh, it means an awful lot, honestly. Uh, it feels weird even sitting here on Zoom. I kind of hate the fact that we're not in a studio, that we're not going for pints right now. That would be the best way to celebrate, but that will come in 2022 at some point, I'm sure. But seriously, in the meantime, all we ever ask you to do is to just tell people about the show. You know, word of mouth. If you enjoy the show, if you might like it, please pass it on because that is the best way of getting people to listen to the show. We love doing it and Craig loves doing it so much that he's taking next week off. So... <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. It's, it seems like a Kendrick album might be about to drop as well, so I could be missing that one. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, There's rumours, yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out. In the company of my guest co-host next week, Zara Hederman. And if you want to find out what we're up to, we will have a preview for you on Monday at patreon.com slash noencore. In the meantime, I want to thank Cole Morrigan for taking the time. Love you, buddy. How are Cheers, you? Cheers, Craig Fitzpatrick, what are you going to do in your week off? I'm going to recuperate and rest and I'm going to Barcelona. <laughs> That's nice. what I'm doing. I'm getting some sunshine. So yeah. Amazing. Should be good. And there will be further audio sunshine coming your way this Monday on the No Encore feed. Adam Shanahan's project before the Encore in which he speaks to industry figures is coming back. It is in fact time for a brand new episode. Go back through the feed and check out his interviews so far to date. They've been illuminating and excellent and insightful. And there's a brand new one coming on Monday. So yeah, lots to look forward to. And of course, Halloween's next week. Maybe we'll get a bit spooky. Let's find out. In the meantime, signing off for the 300th time. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And we love you so much. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.